Hello, and welcome to Inside Medicine. I'm Dr. Jordan Schlain, founder of Private Medical, practicing physician, and really just a science nerd at heart who enjoys devouring the latest medical research. Today's guest is Dr. Grant Lippman, a clinical professor of emergency medicine at Stanford University. He currently sits on the board of directors of the Wilderness Medical Society and is the research director for Racing the Planet. During the pandemic, Dr. Lippman launched Global Outdoor Emergency Support, or GOES, an app for outdoor health and 24-7 outdoor emergency medical support. Hosting today's conversation is our Silicon Valley-based pediatrician, Dr. Kellen Glender. He speaks with Dr. Lippman about his favorite wilderness preparedness gear, how to empower your kids in the outdoors, and staying safe while off the grid. Now, over to Dr. Kellen Glender. Well, hello and welcome. I'm Kellen Glinder, pediatrician in our Silicon Valley office. And today we have Dr. Grant Lippman with us. Welcome, Grant. Kellen, thanks so much for inviting me to come and talk today. Well, we're really pleased to have you. So the pandemic has had a big effect on the world. There are some silver linings. For instance, for children, they've spent some time at home now with their parents, for better or for worse. Have you seen any silver linings for the for the wilderness medicine world that you live in? So this pandemic's been a weird time for all of us. And I think everyone can agree that we're eager to turn off our computers, turn off the TVs, unplug and get outside. And from the wilderness point of view and the outdoors, I'm seeing this huge explosion and enthusiasm of people getting outside and really embracing everything that doesn't have to do with technology. And so that's really exciting. I love this idea of distinguishing between wilderness and outdoors, and that wilderness is maybe a subset of the outdoors. Perhaps you could tell me a little bit more about what you're thinking there. So the outdoors is fairly self-explanatory, right? The uh, the opposite of being inside with the lights on and, and technology around you. Getting outside is wonderful. Fresh air, sunlight, places to run and stretch your arms and legs. Wilderness is the extension of that to an area which is not significantly modified by humans. And it's an, something that we can all recognize physically, visually. Uh, we feel uh, a sense of beauty and awareness and solitude and relaxation. And from a medical point of view, the wilderness is when you have limited resources at your disposal. And that works both ways. It's certainly a sense of freedom and exposure in all the best possible directions. At the same time, if things go wrong, you have less resources to call on to help you out. And that's where wilderness medicine comes into play, which is the extension of emergency care, preparation, planning, acknowledgement of maybe red flags when things are a little bit worrisome, and then knowing what to do and how to get out if things go bad. Thank you. You mentioned children in that a little bit, and uh, as a pediatrician, I have a keen interest in getting children outdoors, particularly Silicon Valley children who spend so much time on technology. The pandemic has brought an onslaught of, of technology to our community's children. Do you have any advice to parents and families about how to get kids outdoors, how to build the motivation into kids to get outdoors, and how to manage their freedom and safety when they are in the outdoors? So it's a great question on how to motivate children outside. And I would say that children have their comfort zone, like all adults do and all families, individuals do. And small steps is probably the best approach. 
while I love going for a 20-mile run, I know my children would not be very excited about this. So I want to go on a, a half-mile hike, right? I'm going to take it when it's not too hot and not too cold. I want to take these baby steps and really make positive experiences. In my mind, the mantra that I repeat to myself with children is no bad days. I'm going to have snacks. I'm going to have positive experiences. And it's not about my agenda. It's about having no bad experiences for them because I know that this is a long-term play and some small baby steps to get them involved and get excited is going to pay huge dividends as we start expanding all of our comfort zones together. I love that. No bad day. With all of your vast experience, I'm just curious, what are some of the most common injuries and accidents that you see? I do a lot of work with ultra marathon runners around the world. And so I see a lot of blisters and it seems like a fairly simple problem, but there have been more outdoor experiences that have been ruined because of blisters. And it might seem a simple problem, but it could ruin any outdoor trip. And I'd recommend anyone listening to go to their local drugstore, grab some paper tape. It costs like 32 cents for a simple roll. And if you have any part of your foot that tends to be irritated, you pre-wrap that area with a little bit of paper tape. And that's going to make it a little bit more slick and less likely to get a hot spot or a blister. If you start getting that hot spot while you're hiking or walking, slap their paper tape on. And that's the difference between a really fun outing versus a meltdown, miserable, sad situation. So blisters are really common. I see a lot of heat exhaustion as well. And one of the big myths out there is that people say you should drink lots of water or lots of sports drinks to prevent heat stroke or heat illness. Ironically enough, you can actually cause a lot of injury and illness by drinking too much. Even the most concentrated electrolyte solution is going to dilute out the salt levels in your blood. And that can cause a situation called hyponatremia. And there've been some very, very sad preventable deaths out there from hyponatremia. And people are outdoors in the heat. They're having fun. They're feeling a little dizzy, a little nauseous, a little headachey. They say, oh, I'm dehydrated. They drink more and more and they feel worse and worse because it's actually diluting out the salt level. And that could present just like heat stroke. And But if you could overhydrate, that can actually make a bad situation worse. And like I said, it could even kill you. So I would say drink to thirst, uh, eat salty snacks when you're hydrating yourself. And just be aware before you go out in the heat that, uh, that like the cold, you're going to put on a bunch of warm layers to prepare you and your family to get out to the cold. Same thing with the heat. Realize that you have to prepare yourself to ways to cool down and not overhydrate and make matters worse. This idea of drink to thirst is very interesting. Oftentimes, the eager parent on a trail will encourage your kid to eat, encourage your kid to drink. And I like the idea of having people be in charge of their own thirst, <laughs> their own appetite. There's a famous uh, nutrition expert in the pediatric world whose comment is that children get to decide if they're going to eat, right? And it's the same with drinking. We should have it present. If you can touch it and grab it, then you get to decide whether you eat it or drink it. And it's our job as parents to provide that thing in front of them, but not necessarily to force them to do it. Yeah, that's a great point. How about in a crisis? What we're talking about here is like preparation for a bunch of activities. And we're not so much talking about what happens when there is an accident. And what's the next 30 seconds? What's the next 60 seconds? 
you have any advice for that? So preparing for an emergency is, first off, being aware of what the red flags are. Know what the warning signs are before you're in that extreme situation. If you see your child hot, flushed, they're no longer chatty, they're becoming kind of snappy, they're dragging their feet, they're not laughing at your dad jokes anymore, and uh, you know you're funny, but now they're even rolling their eyes at you, and things aren't really dialed in the way they should be, that's a signal that they're not in a good place. It's hot outside. Just stop. Stop in the shade. Let go of your agenda. Best ways to cool down, and cooling down is actually wetting. And now, my kids hate to have water poured on their head, but actually increasing the conductive and convective cooling by wetting the skin, the hair, the shirt is the quickest way to cool someone down. Because I know that while they're going to be unhappy with me in the short term, cooling them down, waiting in the shade is going to actually lower their body core and make them feel better. They're going to actually maybe start to eat a little more food, get some energy, and then I could at leisurely exit stage right and maybe get back to the car and call it a day and head out when it's a little bit cooler next time. If they're not doing well, I would just say, use your calm voice and try to calm them down and cool them down if they're hot, if they're cold. I would say be a duck. You know how ducks are? Everything's calm above the surface of the water. Your feet might be paddling frantically underneath the surface, but you don't want your kids to know that you're freaked out. You don't want your friends to worry about this. Just a a calm voice goes a long way. And My last bit of advice in a hectic situation is remember to be empathetic. In the outdoors, we don't have a lot of tools at our disposal. We're not going to have external support. We're not going to have much gear. There'll be no monitors. But you're going to have empathy and and, uh, feeling another person out and, and letting them know you're there for them to support them goes a long way. I love this idea of a duck with empathy. What advice would you have for somebody who's just discovered the outdoors or an interest in the outdoors for the first time during the pandemic? So the people who are just venturing outdoors in a pandemic, first off, I would say, congratulations, welcome. This is the best kind of activity. It's where I personally find my peace and my enjoyment. And the further out I get, the happier I am. It could be intimidating at first. And so I think a good first step is don't push yourself too hard. Uh, If you want to go outside in the summertime, Go in the morning when it's cool. Don't head out for a a 10-mile, 3,000 vertical feet hike at 2 in the afternoon on your first day, right? So have those positive experiences. Um, If you're looking for people to engage with, there's lots of opportunity online, lots of meetups and different kind of community outings. And uh, if you want to do it by yourself, great, but start small. And as you slowly increase your mileage and your aptitude, and realizing that you're going to use different muscles. You you might be uh, a king or queen on the treadmill in the gym, but when you go and you go to the Grand Canyon, the down is easy, the, the up, not so much. <laughs> and appreciating that, as Ed Vissers likes to say, getting to the top is optional, but getting back down is mandatory. Uh, and realizing that you need to get back to where you started and keep yourself safe. Uh, that's the most important part of any outdoor activity, but start slow and realizing we're using different muscles and different uh, types of exertion and stresses on your body, which is awesome because it's a great workout, but that is going to 
lead to some new aches and pains. And you can always build up from that initial outing. There's certainly a lot of uh, interesting exploration to happen really around California. We have such a diverse state and we live in such a diverse part of the country geographically and climate wise. If you're headed going camping or hiking or climbing, you know, you need to be safe. When there's a concerning dry seasons like there are right now, it's not the best time to to make a campfire and start roasting marshmallows for the first time. I, I hate to say it, but it might be a fire pit in the backyard versus versus fires outside. And if if the local park rangers are saying no campfires, you're doing it for a very real reason, which is there's a huge danger of sparks spreading. And so please listen to the national resources, listen to your park rangers, follow instructions because, because we're all sharing in this beautiful resource of the outdoors together. We were talking about mountain biking before. If a family is going to go mountain biking and they're preparing for a mountain biking trip, what's the thing that they should bring that is so often missed that's simple to forget? So mountain biking, I'm going to say wet wipes. Everybody wipes out a mountain bike and having some handy wet wipes to rub off that road rash and the dirt uh, goes a long way to making people feel a little bit more comfortable. How about a longer backpack trip? Say you're going out for four days into the Yosemite backcountry or the Yellowstone backcountry. I really like an electrolyte drink called Tailwind, but I think anything that tastes good to you, I I get really tired of drinking water and I want to stay hydrated, but I want to have some high salt concentration drink that's not too sweet. And Tailwind actually has tons of calories as well as tons of sodium. And so that's going to be giving me energy. Uh, One of the things we don't think about when we're exerting ourselves, certainly long-distance runners think about it, but you want to be putting in two to 300 calories per hour. And if you're in the heat and you're going long distances, you're feeling kind of nauseous, it's actually challenging to keep that energy level up. And after the first hour, you're not going to be using any sugar that's circulating in your system. So you've got to be actually having some extra food. And so um, having some sort of electrolyte solution that might have some calories, you're drinking your calories, you'll keep energy up, you're not going to bonk, you're able to go for longer distances with some uh, some better exertional levels. So I like uh, I like some sort of tasty electrolyte solution. So family that's going sailing, say they're going to go sailing, uh, island hopping around the Caribbean or the British Virgin Islands. What's the thing that they might forget that you think is simple and essential that will help? So to uh, sailing trips, obviously the first thing is water safety. Uh, there's this saying, kids don't float. And it should go without saying that the idea of drowning is just absolutely terrifying. It's the number one cause of preventive death in under four years old. It's the number two cause of death out of traffic accidents of children under 14. So have a good, fitting, comfortable personal flotation device. It's worth spending the extra money and time and get one that's comfortable. And if you're near the water, wear it. Just be safe. So that's number one. And one of the things I like to say about drowning uh, that's a misconception is that anytime someone's in the water and their airway goes below the water, meaning if your mouth and nose gets submerged and there's water that's brought into your airway and lungs and you don't feel well, that is drowning. Drowning is a continuum. It's anything from having a a cough and shortness of breath to the worst case scenario, which is death. 
So there's no such thing as near drowning or dry drowning or wet drowning. It's just drowning, which might be mild, moderate, severe, or, or fatal. But if anyone after 10 minutes is having difficulty breathing or things are getting worse, that's an indication that the lungs aren't reacting well to the exposure to water. You're getting some inflammation uh, because the surfactant, the lining of the of the airways in your lungs has been washed out and you really can't transfer oxygen to the blood. You're getting some fluid build up there and this can actually get worse. So if someone's having persistent cough or shortness of breath or difficulty breathing after they've been submerged, uh, this is something to go and find uh, local medical care and keep an eye on them. And let's change seasons for a minute. How about skiing or snowboarding? So let's keep to sort of the resort or uh, backside kind of day outing. You're going to sleep in your hotel or at your house later that night, but you're skiing at a resort. What's the thing you should bring that's often forgotten that will help? So going back to this idea of no bad days, you're with your family, it gets cold. I have so much candy in my pockets. Every single run at the bottom, I'm giving them a little treat. I want to keep the stoke high. And I love skiing and my kids are getting into it. The one thing that outside of some treats, which is really beneficial, are these little chemical hand warmers. And tips of fingers and toes can really get cold very quickly. And you crack these hand warmers. They can stay warm for about an hour or so. You get some pretty small ones. You can slide into your gloves. Uh, if your toes are cold, you know, go into the lodge, pop these into their uh, into their boots or, or wrap their toes in them and warm those uh, those little piggies up and, uh, and get them happy and they'll get out there. Okay, last activity in our speed round here, rock climbing. Ah, rock climbing, how fun. Um, what to bring rock climbing? I would say... Cloth tape is really nice. And this is uh, some higher density tape that you can wrap around the parts of your finger between the joints. And that gives you just a little bit more, I feel like, tensile support so you can pull on those holds and uh, at least have the sensation of support. And so you don't feel you're going to be tweaking your tendons and the muscles in your fingers. The other thing I'd certainly recommend when rock climbing is super glue. So I used to do a ton of rock climbing on granite. You get these really sharp edges and you can rip apart the pads of your fingers and a little bit of super glue and you glue those cuts shut and you can keep climbing longer and harder. Easy fix. Wow. Do you see many infections when you're super gluing rock climbing cuts? Uh, if you're going to use it, ideally you wash out the area really well first and you do a very thin layer. If you do multiple layers, it's more likely to be uncomfortable, but if washed out really well, a thin layer... And we don't see too many infections, uh, but certainly be aware of what an infection might look and feel like. But for the most part, if you clean that really well and you glue it shut, you should be okay. How should somebody clean out a wound? So there's a saying that the solution to pollution is dilution. And water that you could drink is clean enough to irrigate a wound. Uh, if you have stream water, boil it, spring it to a boil. As soon as it's at a boil for even a second, that's more than enough heat to kill any concerning bacteria, viruses, or uh, other creepy crawlies in there. Um, if you have a filter, you can use that too. Just use clean, potable water. And you want to have enough pounds per square inch of pressure to eradicate any debris or dirt or organisms in there, but not so high a pressure you're going to actually injure the underlying healthy skin. And if you have some sort of sports bottle, 
that you're drinking out of, you can squeeze through a sports bottle nozzle, and that's about six pounds per square inch. If you have a uh, drinking bladder, that's a little bit lower pressure, but that's still better than anything else. But so I'd recommend putting in a sports bottle, squeezing out half a liter or a liter worth of water over it, and that's a pretty good irrigation. What are the three most common injuries you see people get in the outdoors? So we see a lot of sprains and strains, people rolling ankles all the time. I'd say you have some good fitting boots. Uh, if you're into going light and fast, some, some good fitting running shoes. Uh, we see a lot of fractured wrists when people fall. Uh, the most commonly broken bone in the human body is your collarbone. Second to that is your scaphoid bone in the wrist. I do a lot of trail running and I do a lot of falling while trail running, unfortunately. <laughs> and it happens very quickly. I try to never stretch out my hands when I fall. I have this innate reflex that when I fall, I try to hold my hands close to me and aim for a shoulder and actually try to kind of almost roll so I, I land on, on my side of my shoulder or my, my back. Um, I guess I'm a talented faller, uh, if you will. <laughs> and um, I just try not to, not to land on an outstretched hand whenever possible. I don't want to break a wrist. So we see wrists and ankles. We see a lot of scrapes. We get a lot of uh, sunburn. Obviously, foot blisters have been mentioned. And we get a lot of rattlesnake bites. Uh, people are outside. And remember that snakes don't have ears. Yelling or clapping is not going to scare a snake away. And most of these bites are defensive bites where you interrupt a snake's siesta. They're not doing anything. They're minding their own business. And you come around a corner and, and you see a snake there. They will attack when threatened. So slowly backing away, stamping on the ground will send vibrations to it that usually will scurry away. They can't attack more than about one and a half body lengths. That's their strike. They can always obviously slither, but, but the strike from being coiled is about one and a half body lengths. So taking a couple big steps back, stamping the ground and slowly backing away is usually safe. Don't go reaching under logs and boulders unawares because that can interrupt it. And um, don't try to catch a snake. It's, it, you're going to probably lose. What can we do for our children in the area to keep them from getting a snake bite when we're hiking? I would say, first off, when you're with your kids, uh, teach them little things about plant safety and snake safety. Look for poison oak and ivy, leaves of three, let them be. Northern California, we have these huge bushes of poison oak, and it'd be all different colors. So, really, kind of that's a good step for uh, avoiding that injury. But while you're looking at plants, realize that snakes like to be in, in dry scrub. And so, stay on trails. Don't go running through high, dry bushes, even though it's fun. That might be a good first step to uh, avoid snake habitat. Very good tips. I love the idea that actually using the outdoor activity as a learning and perhaps a teaching environment. There's so much to be had. Every outing is going to be different. And teaching kids to be aware and learn from that is super valuable. And I, I find that kids can take that adaptability to school. They can take that adaptability to their soccer team. It's super interesting to me the transference that can happen there. Without a doubt, and I think empowering the children to help make decisions the outdoors is great. You're going to have a route, you're going on a hike. I love the idea of saying, well, where do you want to go? You know, why don't you lead this? We're going to, we, there's a different couple routes. Why don't you pick this? And then 
couple different things you can have for lunch. When you, where do you think is a good place to eat? And where do you want to go? And suddenly it becomes into this child-led activity rather than parents telling them what they do. And it's almost flipping the classroom and they're telling you what they're going to do. And that leads to, I think, a really uh, positive reaffirming experience. Thank you, Grant. Well, thank you so much for having me and having this great talk, Kellen. Hopefully we can uh, go for a run, have a glass of wine and a veggie burger or some other type of grilled meat uh, together sometime soon. That'd be really fun. Thank you for listening to Inside Medicine and our guest, Dr. Lippman. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to learn more about his app, find it on the App Store and search G-O-E-S and use the promo code GOESPRIVATE for a free month of premium access. In just a few weeks, we'll be interviewing Dr. David Skaggs, Executive Vice Chair of the Department of Orthopedics in the Pediatric Orthopedic Department at Cedars-Sinai on the topic of safely returning to sports after COVID. We hope to see you then.